You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. Hello, my name is Melissa Peterson, and I'm your host for today's episode. This year, both COVID-19 and current events have prompted us to re-examine everything from how we gather together while social distancing to how we might best represent and support diversity. These concerns are just as pertinent to businesses as they are to culture and society. Today, I'd like to welcome, virtually, Tori Rayner and Amanda Dwyer, attorneys who practice corporate law at Harris Beach, to discuss key updates in business law during this unforgettable year. Welcome, Tori and Amanda. We'll start by talking about how many business meetings, including this one, have migrated online due to COVID-19. What does New York state law have to say about shareholder meetings in this state of emergency? Well, the short answer is that New York has provided corporations with the ability, at least on a temporary basis, to hold shareholder meetings virtually rather than in person. So by way of background, the New York Business Corporation Law, or BCL, which governs all corporations formed in New York State, historically has required that all meetings of shareholders be held in person. Depending on the corporation's bylaws, the board could have the ability to set the location for the meeting, but the statute specifically refers to a location. So a physical in-person meeting has been required. Now, in recent years, many states, such as Delaware, began to change their corporate statutes to permit corporations to hold virtual-only annual meetings, where the meeting could be held entirely virtually, whether by conference call or video call or online platform or some sort of similar technology, or to permit what are called hybrid meetings. And there, the meeting must have some kind of physical presence, but shareholders could participate virtually. So as long as there is some physical meeting held somewhere, shareholders can dial in or do video call or uh, some, some other sort of virtual participation. Now, New York hasn't gone the virtual only route until now. In October 2019, the BCL was amended to permit hybrid meetings. So again, the meeting would have to have some physical presence, but shareholders could participate virtually. Then, of course, COVID hit and all non-essential gatherings as individuals were discouraged or prohibited. So even that limited physical presence became problematic for companies that were having to hold their shareholder meetings. Then in March um, 2020, in light of coronavirus and the declaration of emergency in New York, Governor Cuomo issued an executive order which, among other things, modified the BCL requirements to hold a physical meeting of shareholders. And the executive order basically said that to the extent that those sections required shareholder meetings to be held in person at a physical location, those requirements were temporarily suspended. And that relief was extended multiple times uh, through July 6th. Then in June, the legislature um, acted on this and enacted amendments to Section 602 of the BCL. They're effective through December 2021 or as long as the duration of the um, state disaster emergency declaration is in place. So during that time, so as long as this disaster emergency declaration is in place, a corporation formed in New York can hold a virtual only annual meeting if it's permitted by the company's bylaws and authorized by the board of directors. As amended, 
as long as that uh, emergency declaration is in place, the board can determine that the meeting will be held solely by means of electronic communications and that the platform or service by which the meeting is held is considered to be the place of the meeting for purposes of the BCL. So when the legislature enacted this amendment, they didn't do away with this idea of having a place for the meeting altogether. It doesn't say there's no place required, but basically it says whatever platform you're using is considered the place. So Zoom can be the place of your meeting. So those are the actions that New York has taken with regard to shareholder meetings during the state of emergency. So given that, what should business owners keep in mind for these virtual shareholder meetings in terms of cybersecurity, accessibility, and other best practices? Well, one gating issue for all companies is to make sure that their bylaws don't have any language that prohibits holding a virtual-only annual meeting. So any corporation that is going to take advantage of this relief and have a virtual meeting needs to take a look at its bylaws and make sure that they do permit this and they don't have themselves an independent requirement for a physical in-person meeting. You know, as long as the bylaws permit it, generally the board can determine the location. So the board can, by action, say we're going to have a virtual meeting um, in accordance with this temporary section of the BCL. And as far as best practices, there's really no one-size-fits-all approach. The key is knowing your shareholder base, how many shareholders you have, how well you know them, you know, what the dynamics of your meetings are typically like, and so on. The meeting will obviously be very different for a large publicly traded company than for a small private company with a dozen or so shareholders. But on a very general level, um, cybersecurity obviously is the number one concern for um, for many companies and um, certainly for, for publicly traded companies. And there, they would generally rely on a platform such as Broadridge, which is a trusted name in this area, um, to provide the security and authentication procedures. For private companies using a platform like Zoom or WebEx, there are definitely steps that can be taken to increase security for these meetings. For instance, a company can and should provide passwords to enter the meeting. They can require pre-meeting registration of shareholders. They can make use of the waiting room feature so that uh, you have to actually admit participants into the meeting. And there are also features you can use to lock the meeting once it's begun or to enable uh, audio watermarks that actually um, will deter participants from recording and then sharing the meeting later on. Generally, the goal of corporations holding a virtual-only annual meeting would be to make it as much like an in-person meeting as possible and to ensure that shareholders have the same rights they would have in an in-person meeting to the greatest extent possible. In terms of medium, um, you can do either audio only or video and audio. Most meetings tend to be audio only. It's more cost effective and it's just technologically easier, um, requires less bandwidth. But obviously this year, everyone's getting a lot more comfortable with Zoom and WebEx and Google Meet and those sorts of technologies. So that's definitely changing. And many shareholders tend to prefer video and they, they want to be able to see the management and the board of directors who are addressing them. So another best practice would be to choose a platform that is accessible or has multiple means of accessing the meeting available to shareholders. For instance, if you're choosing a Zoom platform, you make sure that there's a way to access it online as well as by phone and give shareholders clear instructions ahead of time on how to access the meeting and all the multiple ways that they can join. 
For security and record keeping purposes, companies should establish a way to authenticate the identity of their shareholders attending the meeting. Again, that will be very different for a large publicly traded company than for a small private company. One other thing to keep in mind is, and, and this really is true all the time, but companies would probably want to try to collect as many votes before the meeting as possible by collecting ballots or proxies. And I think this is even more true with a virtual only meeting, depending on the platform that they're using and how easy it is to collect additional votes during the meeting. No matter what, companies will have to allow for voting during the meeting, but it'll enable the meeting to go more smoothly if they've collected as many votes as possible before the meeting takes place. And um, finally, companies should always provide shareholders the opportunity to ask questions. Again, that's true, you know, whether the meeting is held in person or virtually. A company can and, and probably should, depending on the size and makeup of the shareholder base, establish rules of order before the meeting so that questions, um, specifying the questions have to be relevant, germane to the meeting, and so on. Um, but if they establish those rules beforehand, make them available to shareholders, and again, just ensure that the Q&A procedures mirror as closely as possible what they would be for an in-person meeting, um, that will enable that process to go as, as smoothly as possible and minimize surprises for shareholders. So those are some of the best practices for these virtual meetings. As you said, the goal is to mirror the experience of an in-person meeting through as many technological features and rules as possible. So moving on to a change in the biennial statements that businesses in New York need to file, diversity reporting is now required. Amanda, can you explain this change and the background behind it? Sure. So late in 2019, New York enacted the Women on Corporate Boards Study Act, which requires the New York Department of State in collaboration with the Department of Taxation and Finance to study the number of women serving on boards of directors of corporations that are incorporated or authorized to do business in New York. And I think the impetus behind this is just a general interest in getting more diversity on corporate boards. The sponsor of the bill said that women's lack of representation in the boardroom is a persistent problem that has far-reaching implications for employees and consumers. Among other things, data shows that companies with less than three women on their board perform worse financially. New York is home to some of the world's largest and most influential corporations, so what we do here reverberates far beyond our borders. This bill takes an important step toward getting the information we need to bring this problem into the light. So initially what will happen is companies regularly file these biennial statements. They contain very basic information about the company, but beginning in June 2020, corporations are now required to report the number of women that are serving on their board of directors, along with the total number of board members on this biennial statement. So with this information, New York State will be able to analyze how many women are serving on corporate boards. And then what they do with that information is they'll file a report. After that, I guess it's anybody's guess what will happen. But the idea is that they can take this information and analyze it and come up with whether they need to take further action to encourage diversity on New York Corporation's boards. Did you say that companies with more women serving on the board do better financially? The sponsor of the bill said that, and I, th I think that research on that is probably mixed, but there is the general idea out there that having 
more diverse backgrounds on the board of directors is beneficial to managing and shaping a company. I think there is some support out there for more diversity being beneficial to companies. And certainly it's something that people are paying attention to. And whether it's true or not, companies may increasingly see some pressure from from their shareholders, from their customers, and from other partners that they do business with to have women represented and other uh, social minorities represented on their boards. So in light of these new findings about diversity and the new changes in law, what should businesses keep in mind about diversity reporting and diversity compliance? Well, at this point, it doesn't require companies to change anything that they're doing. They simply have to report. But the information will be publicly available. So in addition to New York State studying it, you may have outside groups looking at it and kind of amplifying the information that's out there. And I think while not a stated purpose of the bill, it it does force companies to kind of take a look and realize that this is something that is under consideration. It might prompt companies to consider whether at this point, you know, to get ahead of changes that might be to come, they should consider having a, a woman placed on their board if they haven't yet or other diverse members of the population. So I think it's just something, you know, while there's nothing to do now, it's just something to kind of keep an eye on. um, And it's possible that you might want to get ahead of where this may go in the future. That makes sense. It's certainly a year of changes. We've covered a lot of information that businesses need to know. So I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.